January with Abraham, and we've moved on through. We finally got to the New Testament. Uh, some people may be wondering, well, where was Jesus? Uh, like in every sermon, uh, every week. And, but if you, if you need it a little bit more clearly defined, next year is going to be the one. And that'll, so all, the, whole, the whole year will just be talking about Jesus and his life. But that's what we're doing today as well. Now, if you notice the front of the bulletin, it says, follow me. And then it says the disciples. And uh, are we having a, a problem getting... Oh, there we go. Yeah. Uh, it says the disciples. And Jesus is the one who said, follow me. But the disciples are the ones who did it. And that's really what is supposed to relate to us. Uh, when I saw that Wayne was going to do Knowing You this week when he sent the flow out, I was kind of going, yes. He normally sends it out on, on Saturday. But I went, yes, because I had spent... Uh, the weekend listening to, to Keith Green's old uh, No Compromise album. Oh, oh, Lord. If you want something that'll light you up, <laughs> just just get that thing and, and listen to it. If you if you haven't listened to it in a long time, go revisit it. Don't get, you know, any tribute Nashville sounds, honors Keith Green, blah, blah, blah. Get Keith Green doing that because it, it will it'll tear your heart out. But it's, it's also about what we're going to talk about today. Would you stand with me? Real quick, we're only going to read uh, about six verses here. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first we go back to my, say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Father, I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. I pray that you would invade our hearts, that you would quicken us, that you'd make us alive in spite of ourselves, and that the word would penetrate into our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. One of the, oh, At the Cross was probably my favorite of of all the old hymns. I mean, it just really was. I don't know if they sang it on the day that I finally surrendered or, or what, but it's always been real special to me. Uh, one of the songs that we used to sing a lot, though, and, and it's, it's a good song, decent song. It's got some points to it, but it's probably just as well that we don't anymore, was one that went, Jesus is my Savior, I shall not be moved. In his love and favor, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the water, Lord, I shall not be moved. And, and, but, and the reason why I say maybe, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's okay, it's good. But the idea kind of springs up that now that Jesus is my Savior and I'm saved, that gun missed my seat. Nobody's taking it. The only time it's available is Wednesday night when I ain't going to be here. Oh, that was already good. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, this is off to a good start. Uh, Salvation is of the utmost importance. No question about it. 
However, we tend to labor under the delusion that once we're saved, everything magically changes. And all we have to do is stand back and watch the magic. Everything does magically change in a sense. I remember, well, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone's Christ in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And I remember it so well in my life. There were, there were things... There were things in my life that one day I liked and I desired, and that was what I wanted. And then the next day, eh, I don't want them at all. Now, there are a bunch of other things in my life I wish he had done that with. But there were some things that he did that with. So, I mean, there was that, there was that deposit. There was that down payment saying something has happened. And besides that, I also remember getting up in the morning, looking at the, at the sky and looking at the grass and looking at everything. It was all pretty cool. And going in, giving my life radically to Jesus Christ and walking out that afternoon and all of a sudden the grass was greener and the sky was bluer and the air smelt fresher and, and everything was just, the whites were whiter. I, it was like washing with tide. It was... The crimson tide. Never mind. Woo! Hey, wait a minute. Hold on. I wasn't talking about football. I don't care about football. The Giants are in the World Series. That's what I care about. But anyway, and their closers are Christian, so there. <laughs> so there is a, a magical, there is a mystical transformation that takes place at conversion. However, what, what manifests itself in our material lives is not that mystical transformation. That's the beginning of a process. That's what that is. And that process is called discipleship. And discipleship starts with two words. And those two words are, follow me. That's what they are. Its challenges can be daunting. In fact, its challenges will be daunting. Because, you know, Jesus, Jesus goes to very interesting places. But its benefits are enormous. But they do not automatically accrue to us because we got saved. They are directly proportional. Those benefits are directly proportional to our willingness to accept and obey the command, follow me. They're in direct proportion to it. And, and, you know, and if we've been following for a while and all of a sudden decide, well, I think I'll stop over here for a little while, the benefits tend to, I mean, they just do. We, we all want to hang out with somebody cool. I mean, it's, it's, it's great to hang out with somebody cool. When, uh, when I was at the Lord's Chapel at the, at the very, uh, the first couple of years I was there, well, actually, just the first the first year I was there, uh, there was a youth pastor that named Mike Nelson, and Mike was the coolest guy. I mean, he was. He was a he was a teen magnet. Cool teens would be drawn to him. Uncool teens weren't so much drawn to him because they they didn't feel like they were worthy. Quite frankly, you know, and uncool adults didn't feel like they were worthy, and you know, and I and I I don't know where I fit in that sort of thing because I thought I was cool, but. It was Mike, you know, and uh, but but it was it was really great. You just you wanted to be with Mike. You wanted to you wanted to hang out with Mike, for sure. What do you call a bench warmer? A guy who never got in the game but always sit on the bench. 
but played every year on Michael Jordan's team. A champion. You call him a five-time champion. Just because he hooked up with the right guy. Because he followed the right person. The coolest person of all. I mean, how great would it be to have Jesus Christ come along and say, follow me. And yet, from what we read, we understand not everybody that heard him say that went, I'm, I'm, I'm there. Some did, some didn't. The disciples are the ones that are the most notable. They're the ones that we know about. And, and first of all, I want, want you to notice the context of the call. The context of the call was, was work. Most, most of them were, were at work. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew were fishermen. Uh, when Jesus called them, they were, they were out doing their fishing thing. Uh, uh, Levi, who's also known as Matthew, was a tax collector. He was sitting at the tax collector's booth for crying out loud. And Jesus came along and said, follow me. And he, he left all the taxes laying there and went off and, and followed Jesus. However, that wasn't where it started. We, we tend to have this image. We tend to think that, you know, uh, Peter's washing his nets one day and Jesus comes along and goes, follow me. And Peter goes, okay. And off he goes. No, that's not how it happened. Uh, Peter already knew Jesus. He'd already met Jesus. Over in, in John chapter 1, we look, it, it's, it's this way. The person who was sent into the world to reveal Jesus to the world was John the Baptist. That's, that's the guy who was anointed to do that. That was his purpose. Uh, John had disciples. And in John chapter 1, we discover that two of those disciples were hanging out with John one day when John said, look, that guy's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You want to meet him? And two of them went, yeah. And then went following after him. And those two, one of them was likely John the Beloved, John the Apostle. Uh, he doesn't actually name himself, but he wrote it and knew an awful lot about it. And so we think that's probably who he was. Uh, one of them definitely was Andrew, because he does name that one. After they went and hung out with Jesus all day, John went and got his brother James and said, you want to meet a guy? And Andrew went and got his brother Peter and said, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets spoke. And so he brought, actually his name was Simon at the time, to Jesus and Jesus told him, well, you're going to be named Peter because you're not going to be a reed after a while. You're going to become a rock. And then later on in the chapter, we discover there was this guy, Philip, and we're not quite sure how he hooked up with Jesus, probably through John the Baptist. And Philip went out and got Nathaniel and brought him to Jesus. You see, that's how it works. People who've met Jesus go find people who haven't met Jesus and say, would you like to meet? You need to meet this guy. I've I have found the coolest guy in the world. And that particular pattern that evolves up there has continued to expand for 2,000 years, and your name's on there somewhere. And there's somebody somebody else's name probably above that who came and got you and introduced you to Jesus. That's, That's the way that it works. Now, two points come from this. And one of them... 
Uh, you know, I've already said that we probably shouldn't sing I Shall Not Be Moved Anymore, so I can go ahead and, and, and puncture another one here. Uh, Springhouse Worship and Arts Center is not a soul-saving station. No, it's not. You can get saved here. People can come here and give their life to Jesus, and that, that happens frequently, but that's not our main purpose. We are a soul-filling station. So that people who come here, people who come here come so that they can be in the midst of a whole bunch of people while there's somebody breaks into at the cross, at the cross. And, and where else can you hear Alan Smith weep throughout at the cross it, it, except here on, on Sunday morning? And it does something inside of you. It builds you up. It, it puts you in a position so that when you go out there, you just want to come to somebody and go, hey. I have met the coolest guy, and his name's Jesus. Would you, would you like to meet him? You see, we're not a soul-saving station. You are a soul-saving agent. That's what you are. That, that's, that's, the way this, that's the way this works. That's the way that it's, that, it's supposed to, that it's supposed to come about. The second point that comes out of this is that they met Jesus first, and then later they accepted the call because... Meeting Jesus is one thing, following Jesus is something else. Occasionally, I'll, I'll hear from people who complain that uh, I got saved so and so long ago, and but nothing has changed in my life. And it's usually not a big mystery as to why nothing has changed. Uh, I got, in fact, I got a, a, a Facebook thing a, a week or two ago from a guy who said, I, I came to, to the church five years ago, gave my life to Jesus and, and been doing everything the word told me to do, but nothing has changed in my life. And, and once I saw his picture, I remembered who he was. And I, and I also went, I'm, I'm obviously your pastor because you're asking me for help. I haven't seen you in two years. And before that, I only saw you every now and then. I thought you'd gone off to church somewhere, but, but clearly you haven't. And I know that when you were here, it, it wasn't like you dived head first into it. You met Jesus, but you didn't follow him. See, there's a lot of people that I know that I have no intention of following. So how do you go about following Jesus? I mean, with the disciples, it's pretty simple. I mean, you know, there's the disciples, there's Jesus. He says, follow me, and you, you just pile in behind, and you go off and follow him. You know, that's, that's how they did it. So how, how, are, how is it that, that we do it? I mean, it, it doesn't seem that simple nowadays, pastor. Uh, it's even simpler, quite frankly. Nowadays, because for them, it was kind of like they met Jesus and then it was kind of like, oh, I wonder if he's going to ask me to follow him. For us, if you've met him, uh, he's asking you to follow him. There's no there's no question about it. And it's and it's really a pretty easy. Well, I say it's easy thing. It's not easy thing to do, but but the outline is pretty easy. Uh, first of all, it all has to do with the word. It, it gets 
it gets into your relationship with the Word. Now, the guy who had, had Facebooked me uh, and said, I've done everything the Word told me to do, I knew that he hadn't done everything the Word told him to do. And when I told him that he knew that he hadn't done everything the Word told him to do, he got mad at me and didn't want to Facebook me anymore. Well, then that's a shame. I mean, pray for him. Seriously, I've been praying for him. But I, I knew that was probably where that was going to go. But the truth of the matter is that's where it all starts. Because if you don't really have a relationship with the Word, then you don't have a relationship with the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That's Jesus Christ. And so, and so the word is where it all begins. And, and yeah, there are other things as well. Prayer, I mean, a prayer life. And, and some people kind of think, well, that's the one I do. Really? Who taught you to do this? The prayer fairy? I mean, the Bible is where you learn to pray. And it's not just that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. Great prayer, wonderful prayer. We need to know that prayer and know about it. But, you know, there are times in your life when you, when, when you, when you need something, you need to move a little bit. There's a book in the Bible called the Psalms. Those are prayers. And they're incredible prayers, and, and they can birth incredible prayers in your life. And, 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 even, and even if you just read them, I mean, if you just, you can, you can, here's a prayer you can pray. Holy Spirit, I've got this situation going on. You know what it's all about. I don't even know how to pray about this thing. You reckon anybody in this 150 Psalms wrote one about it? And he can lead you to it and, and you can, you can pray it. You may go, well, that, that's reading. That doesn't count. It counts if you mean it. It counts if you mean it. And like I say, it can birth things inside of you. Uh, so you follow him by the word, by prayer, by tithing. You kind of go, ah, oh, there he is back on tithing again. Yeah. It's not, one, of the, one of the songs that, uh, that Keith Green does that says, uh, is to obey is better than sacrifice. Oh, my goodness, don't listen to it unless, you, unless you're serious. But uh, one, of the, one of the verses says, to obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money. I want your life. Tithing isn't about your money. It's about your life. That's what it's about. And, and if it's an area that you're disobedient in, it's an area you're not following Jesus in. I, I, I mean, don't feel condemned. Feel convicted. Body life. Oh, yeah. There we go. Uh, That's how Jesus didn't just call one disciple. He called a bunch of guys. There were probably some gals mixed in there as well. He, he, He called a bunch of them. And when he said, follow me, he wasn't saying, come on, Peter, you and me, buddy. We'll just, we'll just go off and we'll leave these. We'll leave these losers, you and I. No. When Jesus said, follow me to the disciples, what he said was, get in the gang. Get in the group. And, you know, guess what? They didn't all like each other. 
They really didn't. There, there are places in the scripture where it says the rest of the disciples were ticked off at James and John. And just think about it. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a collaborator with the Romans. Simon the Zealot was a, was a zealot. He, he, he was a terrorist. His job was killing Romans and collaborators with Romans. You know, I mean, you've got Obama and George W. on the same team. And, and you know, and a lot of times people, they, they'll go to church and then they, they won't go to church because they don't like somebody there. Oh, come on, please. If, if you like everybody at the church where you go, one of two things is going on. All right, one of three, you're lying. All right, yeah. Well, one of two are really going on. One of them is you either, you, well, there's actually three. Yeah, you could be lying. But, but you either don't come often enough to know these people. Or you go to a very boring church. Because they're all like you. And it does, I mean, if, if it were me, they're all like me. I, you know, if they're all alike, it's a drag. It really is. So Jesus calls us to body life. That's, that's, part, of what, that's what, part of what following him is because there's a crowd. There really is. And, and service. We're, he, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't call any of us to do nothing. Now, we, we have seasons in our life where we may be are supposed to sit down. We have seasons of dormancy in our life. But those seasons of dormancy and pruning are there for seasons of plenty and harvest and fruitfulness to come along. So this is, this is how you follow Jesus. That's how you do it. And following Jesus is a, is a, a wild and wonderful ride. The first, the first miracle that Jesus did did not... It didn't take place where you would expect it to, and it wasn't what you would expect it to be. It took place at a party. Uh, you, were, you were thinking maybe a miracle conference, right? In the, in the, and, and I mean, Jesus, Jesus knew how to party. The world's parties are, are shabby, poor imitations of what a real party is. I mean, the world's parties really basically are attempts to forget the fact, to, to medicate themselves out of the fact that they really can't party. Seriously. Jesus, he party. Yeah. And, and you know, and it gets kind of, we've kind of, we've kind of gotten, the church has sort of painted itself into a corner where we've, I mean, I'm all for holy spaces and quiet spaces and, and, and all that sort of thing. But here's the deal. You put me in a, in a dimly lit, quiet, cool, holy place. And I will sleep. That's, that's how I'm wired. I mean, I just know that. That's what happens to me. That's why when I pray, I mean, you know, getting on your knees to pray is great. But if it's going to be a very long prayer, I've got to walk. <laughs> uh, and that may not be how you're wired, but that's how I'm wired. 
You know, and, and I mean, think about it. In heaven, all of eternity, there's only 30 minutes that we know of that everybody shuts up. It's quiet. The whole rest of the time, it's, it's rowdy. It's loud. Jesus enjoyed a good party. And what did he do? He turned water into wine. Oh, my goodness. Who saw that coming? I mean, we've become so conditioned by, by TV and by our limited imaginations that, that if it isn't a, a physical healing or a financial miracle of some sort, we don't even consider the, the, the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything that we can think or ask. My, and so most of the time, we don't ask. And even if he does it, we don't acknowledge that it's him. My parents had stories out the wazoo about, I mean, because they, they drove old Fords all the time. And, and they, they, had, they had stories about being out in the middle of nowhere. And, and I'm talking old Fords. We're talking in the 30s and stuff. Uh, they be out in the middle of nowhere and the car's broken down and it won't run or they've, it's overheated or whatever. What are we, or it's out of gas for crying. What are we going to do? Uh, there's no, somebody get their cell phone out. You know, there's, there were no cell phones in those days or anything like that. Oh, I've got an idea in the name of Jesus. Start. And it would. And then get there. That's why I'm here. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm never, well, actually I have had one or two issues with a car like that, but Margaret and I, when we first got married all the time, we, we would lose stuff because, you know, we weren't paying attention to anything but each other. And we'd lose stuff. And we'd look for it, and we'd look where it was, and it wasn't there. You know, we'd just pray, God, find this for us. We know you know all things, oh, Lord. You know where this is. You know, and there's got to be an angel that ain't doing anything right now. So, you know, just send it. Let's get it. Let's have it. I remember one time I had, had one of those uh, big uh, NIV. No, it's not. It was, it was before the NIV. The New American Standard Bible and uh, the Rodney Boyd version. And it, it, was, it was this big thing that hippies carried around to let everybody know they were saved now and, and had leather binding and everything. I lost it one time. Searched my car with a fine-tooth comb and couldn't find that thing. And, and Margaret and I, you know, just... So, okay, we just got to ask God to take care of it. Went out the next morning. There it was on the back seat. You know, and, and, and so, hey, two, two explanations. Angel or thief returned Bible <laughs> to my car. Because I definitely looked there. It's a great ride following Jesus. He's unpredictable. And then he goes, okay, now let's row over to the other side of the lake and visit a dangerous demon-possessed maniac who doesn't wear clothes and everybody's afraid of him. Let's go see the guy. Oh, yeah, let's. You meet the most interesting people when you're following Jesus. See, Jesus came to seek and to save, not to shun and ignore. The church has gotten so insular, but Jesus never was. Come unto me, everyone who is weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Ho, everyone who is thirsty, let him come and drink freely. Reminded of the song, uh, Here by the Water. Think how my yearning kept on returning to move me down roads I'd never have chosen. 
And, uh, and oftentimes it's, it's, it's exciting getting there. Most of you already know this, but for those who don't, I'll just mention it very quickly. When we went to Zimbabwe, when we, when we moved over there for, for three years, uh, on the way there, Isaac got sick in Amsterdam. And, uh, we went to get on the plane and they went, uh, we need to have this boy checked out. They called a doctor, came, checked him out, said, ah, he can't fly. You know, our Arwen and Margaret were going to have to fly on and Isaac and I were going to stay in Amsterdam and he was going to go to the hospital and, uh, you know, we're just kind of looking at each other. Until, oh, yeah. In the name of Jesus. Yeah. And about, and then as they were making the last boarding, uh, they went, well, he's looking a lot better. Let's have the doctor look at him again. Yeah. And of course, of course, of course he flew. Of course he, he, uh, there, there were no ill effects from it. But you know what? If we'd stayed in Amsterdam and had to go to the hospital, there would have been something cool going on there too. Because when you fought the last place on earth that I wanted to come, well, probably not the last place on earth. I can think of some others. But Smyrna, Tennessee, 1988, come on, people. <laughs> it was, I mean, you know, if you told, when you told people you were from Smyrna, it was kind of like, oh. And then I mean, these are people from Woodbine, okay? <laughs> I'm having too much fun today. It's not usually like this. Okay. Uh, but really, it, it just wasn't where I wanted to go. Oh, I got to hurry. I, don't forget about that. And then, and then Thomas, uh, over in John chapter 11, Jesus said, uh, Lazarus is dead. Let's go back to Jerusalem. And they're going, oh, but they tried to kill you the last time we were there. And Thomas finally said, let's go with him and and die with him. And it may ultimately come to this. Yet, what looks like the end of the road when you're following Jesus is usually just the beginning. And it's never truly the end of the road because there isn't any end of the road till you get to the throne. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's cool. And I've heard that preached on a lot, but I actually like the second verse better. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. If, if, if you think your job is to hold on to your life, then it's a done deal. You're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life from me will find it very quickly. Why don't we follow him? We saw three people in this first passage that one of them, actually two of them came to Jesus and said, I'll follow you. And one of them said, well, anyway. The first one came and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What this literally means is, you, if you're going to follow Jesus, following Jesus means taking material things off the throne of your life. doesn't mean you can't have material things. But it means they cannot be your goal anymore. They cannot be what you're aiming at. Because if you're following them, you cannot possibly follow him. He's already said you can't serve God and mammon. And so literally this is what it means. That's got to be taken off the throne. And it's on the throne of many of our lives. 
if not most of our lives. And then the second one was actually one that Jesus came to and said, you follow me. Jesus issued the invitation to him. And he said to him, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Now that, that sounds a little harsh, but a couple of things here. Uh, first of all, you understand his father very likely wasn't dead yet. He, he wasn't just talking about, let me go dig a hole and then I'll come be with you. No, he was basically saying, uh, I, I've got responsibilities here and need to take care of this situation. And as soon as it's done, I'll follow you. And what that literally means is, and, because this is the one that Jesus issued the command to. He said, you follow me. And the guy said, tomorrow. Tomorrow. And the truth is, you can't follow Jesus tomorrow. You can only follow him today. And family stuff aside, this isn't about the guy's dad. It's about Jesus said now and the guy said later. And that's the one that gets us so, so, so much, so often. And then the third guy comes up and says, I'll follow you. But let me go. He's already got his, he's already got a, it's kind of, it's kind of strange to kind of go, I will follow you, but, and we do that a bit as well. Let me go and kiss my family goodbye, say goodbye to them. Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service. And I love this. I love the fact that he doesn't say no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is unworthy of service in the kingdom. And I think there have been times that, that that's the way that's registered in my mind. But the truth of the matter is, that's not what he said. Who is worthy? I mean, seriously for service in the kingdom. Not me. What he says is not fit. Because you see, when you put your hand to the plow and you begin to plow and you look back, plowing becomes very difficult. If you're going to serve, you've got to look at what you're doing. That's got to be your focus. And Jesus, so Jesus says, if this is what you're doing, you're not you're not fit to do it. This is how you got to do it. And you know what? There have been many times in my life, and probably in yours as well, where that hand's been on the plow, and that neck's been turned around this way. But this is a new day. This is a new day. And so in order to follow Jesus... It's, it's really a pretty simple thing. Here's the amazing thing. He's, he's issuing that invitation to every single one of us. And yet there's some of us who are saying, yeah, but I really want that a little more than I want following you. Or, yeah, I really want to follow you tomorrow. Maybe. Got to get this done first. Or others maybe who would be saying, yeah, I'll follow you. I just won't look at you. Would you stand with me? Would those who are going to minister to people come forward? That uh, 
<laughs> like I say, if you, if, you, if you really want to get lit up, I'm serious. Keith Green, No Compromise. If you've got that album, revisit it. If you don't, you can download it or something. To Obey is Better Than Sacrifice. Uh, there's actually three verses that he's got there. I mean, the, the first one was, uh, uh, I don't want your money, I want your life. Second one's kind of cute. Uh, I want more than Sundays and Wednesday nights. And then the last one is to obey is better than sacrifice. I want hearts of fire, not your prayers of ice. And if it's been a while since you've had a heart of fire, this might be a good time to just come down and make a rededication and get rekindled. Or if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you got to meet Him before you can follow Him. We'd love to enter. We'd love. To, we got a bunch of soul-saving agents down here. Or if you came in with a need, if you came in with a a prayer need, we we want to pray with you. We want to minister to you. God's able to turn water into wine and start cars and find Bibles and and open blind eyes. He can do it all. You come. We're going to worship for a few moments. We'll wait for you. You come.
Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who sent his son into the world not only to save us but to be an example that we should follow may that example be imprinted on your life and may those who come in contact with you desire to meet Jesus in Jesus name